0: Hello and welcome back to the View Church Podcast. This is Jake, the host of the View Church Podcast. And in this episode, we are continuing uh, our conversation around the Psalms. And specifically, um, this conversation, we're talking about how the Psalms are really a language of imagination and how it's really um, meant to inspire and create and incite more imagination versus traditional um approaches of understanding and seven steps and all that kind of stuff. And um, George, as as, um, we were talking about before this episode, I remember walking into church and some of the other listeners may have well, may as well, um, where you get your bulletin and you have your fill in the blanks, you know, the bulletin where you say, this is what the pastor is talking about. And then you fill in the blanks and you take your sheet home with you. And, um, that's kind of it. I mean, it's almost like a, um, an interesting, um, study model. Right. And I don't, a lot of our listeners probably familiar with that if they've, um, Uh, been in the church over the past, you know, 15 to 20 years. And that's such an understanding model and it's so removed and it's nothing wrong with it, but it taught me in an early age that I was there to learn. Um, I wasn't there to experience. And I think that those are two different things. And so the Psalms are really guiding us into more of an experience beyond, um, just understanding. It's not a checklist. And so, um, George, why don't you start off? I know you had um, some really good stuff and interesting stuff about how this imagination uh, world of the Psalms can really help us, especially in times like now. Yeah, it even starts
1: with much of the scripture comes to us in poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the Psalms. The Psalms is one of the most uh, beautiful uh, examples of poetry in the Bible, but there's so much poetry, you know, in the Bible. And I think what poetry does is that some things are so true. It can only be said mm. in in poetry form, and it's like um, it's you were you were saying um, you know the fill in the blank thing that you know it would show you something or, or give you something. I think what poetry does it helps you feel it. Mm. So it really is an experience of um, mind, body, and spirit. You know, we're filling in the blank. It's like I got that in my head. You know, I mm. I'll, I'll note that. But so. I think poetry is uh, it, it helps us experience what it is that we're hearing, what it is that the Spirit might be moving us toward or guiding us toward. And so uh, it's important. It's mm-hmm. an important uh, genre. It's important literary device in the scriptures. So um, you know, I, in fact, Ivan, uh, a mentor of mine, said to be a great pastor. You you need to uh, explore more more poetry because wow. one of the things that poets do is not only do they uh, use words, but in in a beautiful way that can bring about an experience of feeling them or opening your heart in some way that you know a different way of saying it wouldn't have. But they actually protect protect words, mm. um, and so I think. Um, one of my mentors was really encouraging me, hey, begin to develop a love for poetry because mm. it's going to make you a better pastor, a better communicator mm. of the scriptures because so much of them are written in poetry. Mm. So um, I want to give you an example, Jake, <laughs> and um, let's just start with the sky above. Yeah. Uh, when scientists talk about the atmosphere on the earth, um, they, they say it's comprised of yeah, nitrogen, 78% of it's nitrogen, 21% is oxygen, and... Mm. Um, Point nine percent of its uh, argon, and there's various carbon dioxide and other gases and, and trace amounts of things so and that, then when, when scientists talk about the atmosphere, they talk about it there's the troposphere there's the stratosphere, the thermosphere all the way up to the exosphere, so they and all these things have different miles on them, so this is very technical language. Mm-hmm you know, to understand the sky that we all live underneath. But let me read to you a psalm (laughs) because the psalmist, uh, he has a, you know, a different way of perceiving this. So um, let me read it to you. This is Psalm 19. He says, God's glory is on tour in the skies. God craft on exhibit across the horizon. Madam Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures each evening. Mm. Their words aren't heard, their voices aren't recorded, but their silence fills the earth. Unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. God makes a huge dome for the sun, a superdome. The morning sun's a new husband leaping from his honeymoon bed. Mm. The day-breaking sun, an athlete racing to the tape. That's how God's word vaults across the skies, from sunrise to sunset, melting ice, scorching deserts, Warming hearts to faith, so this is just the beauty—the uh, beauty of poetry. Mm. Um, it takes us places that perhaps you know, literal language wouldn't be able to take this. And by the way, I have uh, um, a theologian, um, NT Wright, that has really shaped mm. me. I
0: love NT Wright.
1: Yeah, um, he's really helped me understand that uh, the difference between concrete and abstract, mm. and you know, in a lot of ways, we think that something has to be concrete for it to be true or for it to be impactful. But he uses an analogy of how the abstract can be um, you know, something that we can gain truth from and even a deeper way of understanding that mm-hmm. truth. And he uses the analogy of, um, let's just take a car. A car is a concrete name to mm-hmm. something. But maybe an abstract thing is what you would name your car, like Mm. Old Betsy. Mm -hmm. And so when you say that name, it conjures up all these feelings and all these things, you know, of driving that car to different places. And so uh, that's really helped me understand um, how poetry through the scriptures can open my heart to uh, the abstract things that perhaps, um, are being conveyed in it and the ways that, that my heart can catch up into that with my head, with my mm. entire body. Mm. And so th- that's, that's what these Psalms are doing. They're, they're inviting us into this full experience of experiencing God's presence mm. and the witness of people that have gone before us that have, you know, prayed these prayers and sung these things, mm. um, to God. So it, it's, it, it, it is an art form mm. that, I think we need to trust more deeply and perhaps expose ourselves more to and um, understanding more how the scriptures are writ- written in that form.
0: Mm. And it's um, it reminds me of, um, there was a, a very famous um, TED Talk by a um, neuroanatomist. So she studied, literally just studied brains. She was, she just spent her entire life understanding how the brain works. And so her name is Jill Bolt Taylor, and she has a book out called The Stroke of Insight. But what actually happened to her was fascinating. Um, Jill had a, um, a a stroke in her uh, left hemisphere, which if you don't know that the brain has two hemispheres, the right hemisphere, which is responsible for um, intuition, nonverbal. Um, if you ever have instincts, if you feel like uh, imagination, all those things. Your left hemisphere is all based on understanding. Uh, your left hemisphere is where your eye comes from. So we're separate, right? I have an eye, you you. Your right hemisphere doesn't know that. It just sees one. So that's where oneness comes from. So she has this intense experience where she's having a stroke in her left hemisphere. She's losing all of her left, hem- have left hemisphere uh, functions. She doesn't understand. She's trying to make a phone call. She doesn't understand what the numbers mean anymore. She doesn't understand language. And she is having a blissful experience as this is happening. Of course, she's terrified. So she talks about over the next few months, what it was like to be predominantly in her right hemisphere. And she said at one point that she felt so big that she didn't know if she would get back into her body. And what I mean by that is that she felt so expansive and so connected to God. She's not a spiritual person and she had a very spiritual experience. And the reason why I'm saying that is because, um, we live in a left brain dominant society. It comes from obviously the Western, the Greek, Roman, that is heavily influenced here. And so uh, it's it's estimated that roughly 88% of our population is left brain dominant, which means we're all too logical. We all seek to understand too much and we don't spend enough time as an imbalance. And so I want to read you this um, quote from G.K. Chesterton, who is one of my favorite people of all time. And it speaks a lot into how all of us struggle with mental health. You know how mental health is just having a pandemic itself. Uh, I think this really has a lot to be said about that. And I'm, I'm glad that you talked about that on the, um, the front end of this, that it's very healthy uh, to approach our spirituality with imagination and not just understanding. But this is what G.K. Chesterton said a long, long time ago. He says, poets do not go mad, but chess players do. Mathematicians go mad and cashiers But creative artists, very seldom. I am not, as will be seen, in any sense attacking logic. I only say that this danger does lie in logic, not in imagination. And I I think that's so healthy, and I'm going to bring this back to my experience, is when I am typically the least, when I'm experiencing any kind of mental discomfort, any kind of mental health, it is because I am seeking and I must know, and I'm just getting hyper analytical about my life with goal setting and what's happening and I need a seven step process. And I forget the being side of myself and the creative. And I just feel like the Psalms just have this way because guess what else is in the right hemisphere? Your emotions. And so when they're talking about, um, we talked about this in the previous episode where, talking about your emotions, feeling your emotions, this all awakens this right hemisphere, this side of you that's kind of laying dormant. So in a in an, in an interesting way, this is actually a really healthy model um, for you to start balancing out the two types of hemispheres that you have in your brain. Um, and we talk about this all the time, like the Bible is so old. And yet at the same time, the truth is still there and we're still finding out how much truth is, is revealed in that. And so... Um, I don't know, that just really spoke to me when you started talking about poetry and how most of the Bible is written with a lot of metaphor and a lot of what's been left out. I just thought it was really powerful, and and it is a very healthy way to live, uh, moving and and balancing that side of yourself out. What's
1: interesting in hearing you read that quote and to talk about what you're talking about is uh, to really be free um, and to live out of that part of our brain, it... Uh, you know why why do people want prose so badly? you know that's mm. over poetry when maybe the more healthy way maybe we'd be more free uh, in in choosing poetry over prose and I you know one of the ways that I think about this is you know um even in the book of Genesis where mm. I remember when I was a young pastor and and just starting t- you know to begin a formal theological education. You know, how much of the debate was, you know, uh, by the way, Genesis is a poem. It's a creation poem. Right. But people were debating over a literal six-day creation. Yeah. And that was always a bit curious to me. Um. And I I think at one point I got caught up in it. But then I just began to realize this is really about God wanting to make heaven and earth uh, the place that he wants to dwell. Mm. And... There is a, you know, so if if I read uh, a creation poem and I try to take it literally, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have endless debates over did God really create everything in six days? Or am I going to begin, no, wait a minute. The larger story here mm. is that God is present mm. in this world that he's made. and He says it's good, it's good, and we're good, and... I don't know. I just think it's more healthy for us to get caught up in that story and trusting in that than than having a a long debate over, was it literal six days? But another example I want to give you, I want to read this uh, very well-known hymn. So, Jake, I know you'll recognize it and so will our listeners, but uh, here it is. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Mm. Now, the beautiful thing is when we hear those words or when we hear them sung, um, they move us in a particular way that in some of the darkest moments can bring peace. Mm. But when was the last time that, you know, you were out on the ocean and you looked at the rolling waves and go, hey, there's some sorrow. Mm. It just does not work in a literal sense. Mm but when it's taken in the poetic form it does something to the heart it does mm. something to the soul it, it takes us somewhere mm. that you know a literal way of understanding it just couldn't take us there
0: mm. and it's it's um the word that is coming to me is wonder it's 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 captivating part of wonder is a love language of god in my opinion you know it's like we're we spend so much time trying to understand god or understand what's written in these words here and we forget um, to also look around at creation and and see, um, you know, the animals that seem to be very happy. You know, it's like somebody was saying the today, you know, the birds chirp all day out of joy. They, they chirp all day to their creator. Creation sings to its creator at all times. And it's like we, we, because we are the smart ones, because we can communicate and we can build things and we can take things down, but we've lost something. And I think that um, part of what I... Um, Uh, Going back to G.K. Chesterton, um, I was asked at one point in time to to lead a a short communion, uh, and uh, I remember getting this quote, and um, um, it resonated so much with me, and I think it resonated with a lot of the congregation in the sense that it reminded us of something, that there is something in childhood And Jesus talks about, you know, the the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That's not a, hey, the kingdom of heaven is a bunch of children. And when you get up to heaven, you're going to realize everybody's seven and eight years old. He's talking about their consciousness. He's talking about the depth of children. We see children because we're old and we're smart and, you know, we see them as limited. Yet we've become limited and they're limitless. And I have two little girls and they're. Creativity is massive, and there's science that shows that the analytical mind doesn't really come online until about seven or eight years old. So, you know, you're really kind of wild, free, abandoned until that point. And I wanted to read you this quote, George, because I thought it was a beautiful representation of not only how we should approach God, but maybe even how we see God. And it says, uh, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, "'Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. "'They always say, do it again, "'and the grown-up person does it until he is nearly dead. "'For grown-up people are not strong enough "'to exult in monotony, "'but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. "'It is possible that God says, "'Every morning, do it again to the sun, "'and every evening, do it again to the moon.'" It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be, and this is my favorite part. It gives me chills every time. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. And I just love that. How, how powerful is that to think that, We're the ones that have grown old, and yet our our, our Father, our Heavenly Father, is still in that stage of just purity. This, like, look at this beautiful place. I know you're trying to understand, but that's part of the problem. And so to have the Psalms point to that, and it is well with my soul, and and I'm pretty sure when he wrote that was when he received all of that information about uh, was his wife and kids. I, I can't remember the exact story, but it was not good news. It was actually devastating news. But what is embedded in that is the, is, the, is the release of understanding. It is the release of understanding to say, I don't know, but it is well with my soul. Not because I have an answer, but because I'm releasing the need to know. And I think that's what's embodied in these Psalms and what's embodied in why poets don't go mad, why creative people don't go mad, because they are allowing themselves to not know. And there's just some kind of childlike, I love how you said the spirit fierce and free. And I think those are two beautiful words um, that we could all use a lot of right now is, is freedom, internal spiritual freedom. And that only comes from letting go of some of this massive need to understand and to analyze and to do all these things. And I, I'm very comforted to think that God welcomes that and encourages that. And it's shown through these psalms Um that, that shows us, and Jesus spoke very similar, you know. Uh, he always spoke in metaphors when he taught. It's a beautiful, beautiful way to think that God's speaking to us this way.
1: Not all words are meant to just communicate. Some words create. Mm. And um, I think when I hear you read that quote, and when I think about the way Jesus used words, and even the way, uh, you know, the writers in the Psalms or even in Genesis um uh, but, you know they stir up our imagination, and um, I think they take us places that um you know words that just communicate information can't, and uh, you know I know for me i'm I'm trying to discover that in my approach to reading these scriptures that there's all these different kinds of literary devices, so understanding how something was written. Mm you know uh is a really good way to uh, like i think jeff said in a couple podcasts before that if you're uh reading harry potter and think you're reading the newspaper <laughs> it's going to lead to a different reality yeah. and so uh i think poets don't primarily use um poetry to convey information they, mm. they do it to uh, stir our imagination mm. for hopefully a better self a better understanding of god Better way of experiencing um, this life, and um, really, these writers of the scriptures—they're—they're they're brilliant, mm. and the devices they use to connect the human being holistically mm. to an experience and a relationship with God. And so, Jesus—you know—what made his relationship so special? Um, I think it was because he embraced a lot of these same things that we're talking about. Yeah,
0: mm. that's powerful. And to think that we're invited into, um, joy and wonder and imagination. And that is, um, just as much, if not our experience with God is a, is a beautiful thing because I think I was taught at such an early age that the stakes were so high and it was just all about getting it right. You just got to get it right. You got to get life right. You got to get your heart right, you know, and that's life's a struggle and you're here to struggle until you get it right. And then, then when you get it right, you got to do it even better. And it's like to know that, that's just one way to approach it. And God's like, no, like part of this is also just being and inviting us into the imagination and to not have to know everything. It takes
1: imagination to be aware that when you're experiencing joy, you're experiencing the very presence of God. It takes imagination to think when you're experiencing laughter or goodness um, and we way too much, we make the experience of God something other than the experience of life. And so what you are saying is what I think all of our hearts need to awaken to, um, just how very real the presence of God is through the very experience of life and not making it something other.
0: Mm. That is beautiful, and um, a beautiful way to close out, it reminds me of a... Um, a book that I was reading the other day and the title of the book is literally don't forget to laugh. (laughs) It's like you can be going through really hard times. Laugh at yourself, laugh at life, laugh literally this morning. I'm doing online school with the girls. It's just haywire. Everybody's about to get, and I just start laughing for no reason. then all of a sudden the girls start laughing and it's, it's God is in the laugh, right? And yes. that's it's just a beautiful thing. Thank and you, And God George. is in Jake, because yeah. <laughs> whenever you laugh, I laugh, Jake. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm glad we actually didn't. We were worried we were going to talk for about an hour on this one, but we both love um, this this uh, imagination, creative world so much. Well, we really hope that this, um, that, that this podcast means um, a lot to you, and we just want to invite you to share this with others um, who are out there who may Uh, either not be a part of a church community or really just needing some joy and really needing an influx of life. Um, This is a great way to do it. The Psalms provide a wonderful uh, uh, blueprint for it. And to know that God encourages this and God is in this is a really healthy thing right now, especially right now. So we love you all and we will be back soon. Talk to you soon.